Why don't we do this more often? Why don't we? Just what we're doing tonight. What a lovely night. Gee, but it's great to get together again. Show it. Why does it only happen now? Welcome back to City of Angels Exposed, an insider's journey to the evolution, revolution of DTLA. I'm Linda, and we'll be touring speakeasies and hidden bars in downtown in this episode with my ongoing mission to inspire you all to explore them yourselves. It took several trips into this wonderful mixology landscape, which I enjoyed thoroughly, to select these special diversified top 10. And as I can only scratch the surface on intriguing places that speak to me, I encourage my wonderful listeners to share their favorite hidden spots. If you know of an original speakeasy that's still in operation, I would love to hear about it. So why did I choose this topic to share? most probably because I love historic architecture, and if you mix in the taboo prohibition of the 20s and 30s with mafiosi-fueled smoky drinking parlors, decadent flappers dancing wildly in long pearls and Coco Chanel-style dresses, I am in. I hinted in a prior episode that there was one disruptor who revolutionized and revitalized the craft cocktail scene in DTLA, and that visionary is said Moses. He is often called a saloon keeper with an L.A. empire of 20-plus bars under his 213 Hospitality Group, where they look for watering holes and eateries that are either in their original state or are located in historic buildings. His passion for bourbon was inspired by his grandmother, and he has said his grandmother was the most social woman in town, and she would drink mint juleps all afternoon until the fireflies came out. When that first firefly came out, she would switch to bourbon and branch water, and she could outdrink all the men in her town. It's amazing how many of us have grandmothers that have inspired us in a meaningful and powerful way. Said opened his first bar, The Liquid Kitty, in the West Side in 1996 and came to downtown to open The Varnish, which early on received the Best American Cocktail Bar Award. The Varnish was his homage to a Prohibition-era speakeasy and is hidden at the rear of the street-level Cole's French Dip, L.A.'s oldest restaurant still in operation. In 2007, Moses and team saved and restored the varnish to the tune of $1.6 million. It's uh, certainly putting his money where his mouth was, and that was a time when downtown L.A. was not necessarily a desirable destination for businesses. He says it's better to have an element of discovery, which is why many of his properties are below street level or otherwise tucked away. His group operates many bars, I'll speak about a few of them shortly, such as the Slipper Clutch, Tony Saloon, Seven Grand, Bar Jackalope, The Streamliner, Las Perlas, The Golden Gopher, Kanya Rum Bar, Broadway Bar, Bar Claxon, and Arts District Brewing Company. Moses is also partnered with the, the group The Spirited Coalition for Change, which raises awareness and funds to address homelessness in L.A. 
Well, I'd like to thank you, Ced, for starting the momentum that has revitalized the cocktail scene in downtown and created my inspiration for this boozy episode. Let's start with the Golden Gopher. This is a restored 1905 dive bar and was originally dubbed the Golden Sun Saloon, reopening as the Golden Gopher in 2004. All termit upscale dive view, which is kind of a term I just made up, but I do like it. It's dark, black-tiled narrow bar with rodent lamps, a famous neon outside sign, and it's been in multitudes of movies over the years and feels authentic as a hidden bar. There's good seating outside and the smoking patio attached, and a few noteworthy um things that's attached to this is that due to its age, its original liquor license exempts it from uh, abiding by present-day standards and ordinances, such as prohibiting the sale of alcohol within a certain distance of the establishment's front door. It also allows liquor to go. And former U.S. President Teddy Roosevelt was rumored to be an early owner of the bar, and it's currently managed by our friend Sed Moses. Now, moving to a modern, trendy, hidden bar, we have Apotique, which is apothecary meets boutique. It's one year old. It's located in a vintage building, which a, has kind of a California, Spanish, casual, with a hint of Moroccan chic vibe. And it's located at the far end of Chinatown in a forgotten corner of downtown. Bartenders look great with their apothecary-type white coats. All their mixers are organic, fruits and veggies, and the absinthe flaming chemist is quite a show. I thoroughly enjoyed their kale in comparison, a flavorful lime-forward cocktail with a hint of kale, and Tainted Love was another favorite. We had Anita sit down with us, and she shared great insight about the New York-based Sister Bar and the designer's inspiration for this new spot. There are romantic alcoves inside with drapes and outside has great comfy couches and if you're looking for a romantic spot and want to impress this is probably a great option they offer live music with burlesque style dancers and music on select tuesdays and djs on other nights their clientele is predominantly upscale, and this bar would be at home in Beverly Hills or the West Side for the most part. Lavender and herbs hang from the ceiling, and custom-scented candles are prevalent. Check out their mixology classes with their resident craft cocktail nerd, Nick. Oh, and one of the most talked-about restaurants in downtown, Major Domo, is right around the corner. Going to a different vibe altogether, we will cruise over to the Slipper Clutch. This hidden bar is in the historic core, and it's covertly behind Bar Claxon, two more said Moses haunts. And you just walk through the front bar and follow the highball sign into the back. It is small and can be described predominantly as an 80s punk rock one pool bar <laughs> one pool table bar the smell of stale beer and cigarettes hits you as you enter but it is a cool place to hang out with friends who like to smoke and drink beer the bartender was warm and reminded me of the local pubs in europe where you wander in for a pint and i think that a couple of the hidden bars i'll talk about on this episode 
are reminiscent of the European-style social hubs in most neighborhoods of Europe, where you do go, and it's every generation um, that goes to hang out and drink and, and really um, socialize. Now we'll go to the borough, which is sort of located on, I think, the borders of the Fashion District, the southerly border of uh, South Park, and maybe touching the Financial District, and that is the borough. It is burrowed below the Boutique O Hotel. You walk downstairs into this cozy, comfortable, living room-esque hidden bar. One wall is a library, and there are couches with beautiful fur throws and a really nice cross-section of clients. We were greeted very warmly by one of the owners, who we didn't know he was the owner at that time. His name was Taylor. He's a recent transplant from San Francisco whose talented pastry chef partner develops all the craft cocktail flavor profiles, which I thought was very interesting, and he's a talented man. Uh, there's a cheesemonger in the kitchen, and their small plates were delicious. The night we were there, the customers were a cross between corporate types, beer drinkers, a millennial on a laptop doing work or doing something, and craft cocktail aficionados. So it reinforces their welcoming, inclusive spirit and philosophy. Now we'll go around the corner and a little bit further south into the historic core to visit the Wolves. This is a street-level, sophisticated bar attached to the historic Alexandria Hotel. And although the bar is only about two years old and took over a print shop space, they have taken immense care to curate every piece of antique decor to rival a turn-of-the-century upscale Parisian watering hole of the Victorian era. The curved, massive stained glass ceilings were taken from a train station in the Midwest, and then the Art Deco booth and down to the beautiful vintage barware feels very much like you're visiting Maxime's in Paris. And we need to talk for a minute about their commitment to serving innovative craft cocktails. First, and we felt a little bit sorry for their bar staff, but they hand chip large round ice cubes for each drink. I had the spicy pineapple with smoke, which offered illegal, and I don't know if that's a brand name or if it is illegal, but mezcal, fermented pineapples, passion fruit liqueur, chestnut bitters, and habanero bitters, along with fresh lime. All of their Amari bitters, liqueurs, and vermouth are made completely in-house using seasonal produce. This is an impressive, low-key, romantic date spot for certain. Now, moving on to the ideal combination, in my humble opinion, of millennial passion meets gritty repurposing of a historic locale, the wonderful Rhythm Room. It's another historic core hidden gem, and you need to look really carefully for their front door as there's no name on the outside. But as soon as that door opens, you're walking down into a basement that exudes history. Housed in a 1905 hotel, gangsters like Al Capone and Bugsy Siegel were purported to have visited the shadowy establishment. Their combination of live jazz music lounge meets shuffleboard, pool, ping pong, and board games is a relatively um, new concept and very inviting spot. Uh, 
The owners, Vince and Cindy, are native LAers. I'm not sure if that's a word, but I just, it is now, who lived in New York and moved back to DTLA to open a space that encourages large and small groups of every generation, very European-esque again, to come hang out and stay a while. They, too, make all their elixirs and mixers in-house. We imbibed the Pulp Friction cocktail and the L.A. Sour, which made my mouth sing. And I'd like to mention that in the spirit of the millennial collaboration and um, attitude, Vince and Cindy highly recommended that we go visit the Wolves, the aforementioned bar, and they were every bit as, as kind and enthusiastic in their referring us that direction. So that's another reason I love uh, downtown LA. Now we'll move north to the El Dorado. It's three years old and next door to the Petit Trois French restaurant. And I encourage you to take a peek inside because that was the former lobby of a boutique hotel. And it is, they kept most all the authentic architecture with gorgeous gold capitals at the top of the massive columns and beautiful tile floors that really um, would be great to take a minute to go see. And their menu looked beautiful as well. Although I can't speak to that. I haven't eaten there yet. You walk down the stairs of the El Dorado into the below street level bar. And although it's new, it's made to look vintage. It envelops you with its dark leather booths lining most spaces. It has sexy lighting, large nude murals, and a long wood floor ideal for any sort of dance genre. And I see club dancing and ballroom dancing, or at least that's what uh, I see in that space. The hidden gem in the El Dorado is off the main bar. And as our wonderfully service-oriented bartender, Andrew, pointed out, um, the vibe at the very cute, cozy stowaway is vaguely nautical, which sums up the ambiance perfectly. I had the Southern Point cocktail, and it was deliciously fragrant and very um, rich in its, uh, all the, the flavor profiles they used. And by the way, one of my top screeners or priorities um, when I was thinking about which speakeasies and hidden bars would make my top 10 list, I pay very close attention when we walk into a establishment uh, to the approachability, the service levels, and how interested the owners or bartenders initially were to share the nuances and passion of their bar. And I do have to say, Andrew, of the 10 we visited, uh, I think he hits number one on my list of uh, being a standout. And I think he definitely deserves a raise. This next modern-day speakeasy almost single-handedly caused the downtown mixology momentum. And that is our iconic The Varnish. This institution really sent a message when it opened that downtown was becoming a player and inspired people who wouldn't normally have come to this area to discover what a craft cocktail was and what mixology was all about. It was a storeroom for Cole's French Dip Restaurant for several years, which explains the hidden aspect of walking to the very back and through a discreet door. It is a close 
space, wood paneled all the way around and on the ceiling. Um, and it does evoke a speakeasy-esque room that could have been there since the late 20s. Said Moses and team were brave because, um, as aforementioned, they did invest serious money and he he really um, put it on the map. And like Roy Choi of Koji fame, who was the traction for the food truck revolution in L.A. many years ago, this was one of the original bars that brought attention to talent, talented bartenders and the craft cocktail trend in downtown. And I would like to mention that in my travels in Europe, bartenders and mixologists were as revered and have been uh, throughout most of recent history, as much as top chefs are. And they had competitions, they had ratings, they had the uh, Olympic-esque uh, competitions for mixologists in many countries in Europe. So it, it was very wonderful to see that this, in many ways, was the beginning of the awareness for people in Southern California to really understand the difference between a regular made cocktail and a craft cocktail. Now we're going to tour over to the wonderfully largely left alone Chinatown area and district of the 1940s. And that's where we'll find our cute little boutique-y, quirky hidden bar, General Lee's. Down a wide alley is his hip hideaway with dark, moody lighting and vintage tropical flair, and it's quite a find. As mentioned earlier, the bartender makes a great difference in the experience, and Han was the best combination of feisty, knowledgeable, and excited to share General Lee's vibe. This bar reminds me of a neighborhood hangout with Bohemian live music on several nights. I think the night we were there, they were doing techno meets island something, and I think there was some sort of picture component to this um, or some sort of movie thing they were doing, and it's very unique to this place. Their craft cocktails are infused with interesting mixers like wasabi vermouth, black sesame oil, five spice, and Sichuan spice peppers, and are thoughtfully created, giving great respect to their Chinese heritage. I had the Lost Orient Sour and the Ming River Sichuan Bijou, forgive me on the pronunciation of that, was a grain alcohol experience that lit up my mouth and circled around in a way that was memorable. They have a list of local food joints that happily deliver while you enjoy the craft cocktails and interesting music. And my final hidden bar will be in sheep's clothing. This tucked away hidden bar adjoining Lupete Pizza in the Arts District is a serene, high-fidelity cafe listening bar. The partners were intentional on paying homage to the 1960s Japanese Kisa concept. Tokyo jazz joints, or Kisa Ten, were sanctuaries for jazz enthusiasts where the music was played on vinyl through aging sound systems. The jazz cafe culture in Japan grew organically after World War II, where kids would come and listen to U.S. imported records, and they, because of the war, they couldn't afford uh, turntables and speakers. So the act of going to a cafe and listening to a new release in a social group setting became the norm for a generation of Japanese jazz fans. 
We got extremely lucky the night we were there and spoke with Crash, a renowned singer-musician in his own right, who was playing vinyl behind the bar and was an enthusiastic ambassador for this low-key lounge. The inside has beautiful blonde woods. It's really a virtual recording studio with cork floors and ceilings, acoustical decor, and a highly curated sound system. This is an eclectic lounge in many ways, as they have both day and nighttime music menus designed by their Emmy-nominated Zach Cowie. This listening cafe offers counter-culture coffee in the form of cold brew on draft, drip and single-origin pour-overs, sipped alongside daily delivered pastries in the morning. And at night, you can grab a slice from the pizza joint next door and enjoy a wide variety of Japanese whiskeys off their massive list of libations. And there are a few additional bars and lounges that are very much worth mentioning. So I will give them all uh, shout outs very quickly here. The Edison is a three-story authentic power plant that cranks out craft cocktails. Clifton Seven Seas has a fourth floor bar that was a collection of um, Don Ho, Trader Joe's 1940s and 50s uh, kitschy tropical decor that has its own unique menu and vibe and is wonderful. Mrs. Fish, which is at the bottom of the basement of the Perch Building, uh, they've gone through transition from when they opened, but they're now a sushi restaurant in an art-centric contemporary space on three levels. And finally, the Streamliner, which is a beautiful uh, art deco decor in the renovated Union train station, is a lovely place to go have a drink and people watch. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of Speakeasies and Hidden Bars and will continue on my journey of discovering other wonderful places that make up the urban landscape we call downtown L.A. If you've enjoyed this episode, please come back and let's do it more often. Like, follow, and comment on my Instagram at Noir for a unique look into the past and present of DTLA. We ought to do this more often mm -hmm. Now don't you agree that I'm right? I do Oh, we make each other laugh We make each other sing And you can never, ever overdo a good 